G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to be returning to a very important topic of conversation today about domestic and family violence and how we keep children safe, especially in churches. And while all of the big Christian denominations have some stringent child safety guidelines, no church can ever let their guard down. Children are our future and they deserve our love, giving them every opportunity to flourish. And what better place to flourish than being connected to a wonderful community expression of Christ in a local church which is attentive to making gathering a safe place for children. But in fact, this is no easy task. Being a child-safe organisation is perhaps more complicated than you might think. Well, we're checking in today with an organisation that works with churches in addressing domestic and family violence and helps create and sustain child safety, tailoring the best resources to suit individual church needs. Alicia Reader-White is the founding director of Equipped for Grace. And Alicia is joining us. Alicia, welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's wonderful to be here. Alicia, great to have you in a conversation like this today. And I've heard wonderful reports about the sort of good work that you do. So uh, listeners will be very important, uh, impressed to be able to hear some of these sorts of things today too. When we talk about domestic and family violence, and we're talking child protection, There is a certain image that comes into people's minds because of all of the publicity of some of the failures that have happened in church life. But I wonder if we can start with a little bit of context here because domestic and family violence and the need to protect children, this is a very broad community issue. And uh, to separate churches out sometimes makes it sound like churches are the worst offenders in all of this area. But in actual fact, that's likely to be the opposite case. How do you see things happening more broadly in the community? In the community at the moment, domestic and family violence is an enormous issue. It's been made um, really quite popular over the last maybe 10 to 15 years with amazing reports that have come out you know, from our own state here in Queensland, um, nationally as well. So it really is a a massive community issue that so many people are on board with at the moment, but it's not to say that it's that churches, um, you know, don't have these sorts of things happening in our own sphere. And we really do need to be looking at our church and the community that we have as a reflection of the wider community in in Australia here. And let's talk, uh, you know, a little pragmatically about the church here, because the church is not, you know, it's not just a, a snapshot of, wonderfully good people. In actual fact, uh, for everybody who's listening in now, you'll know that the church is actually a melting pot and an attraction to all sorts of people who are actually seeking something more in their life. Perhaps either it's a deeper meaning or it's a spiritual connection or it's a a connection with people in a community because there's a certain love there that they've not seen anywhere else. So all sorts of people are coming and making up the church 
including people who are going through their own issues, trying to develop some ways that they can be better in their community. Yes, absolutely. The church is absolutely not immune from it. We are all not perfect people who who created church, but no, we are very much a reflection of what's happening in society. And as we know, domestic and family violence really touches people from all different walks of life. You can have, you know, amazing income or low income. You can come from uh, a very, you know, well-to-do family with high um, educational accolades or you can come from a family that's just, you know, very blue collar and and an amazing working class family as well. So it really comes from all ethnicities and backgrounds and cultures. And as you know, we, you know, all of these people make up our wonderful churches here. And even people, you know, who appear to be good people and a great image and they look good at church on Sunday, they're often going through their own behind the scenes turmoil and challenges uh, if domestic and family violence and all sorts of reasons too that can affect that. But what are your thoughts for, you know, those sorts of people who are in church, but yeah, they're struggling with some of these things as well? Yeah, absolutely. There is a lot of shame around domestic violence, um, especially for victims. Um, and perhaps as, as we know, you know, walking into churches and whilst we like to think that there's no judgment there, you know, sometimes it can be a very difficult place for people to open up when everybody else's life looks perfect, you know, on the outside. And that's not just in church, that's in every, every walk of life. And so creating a space where it is actually really safe for people to come to a pastor or a pastoral carer or a leader and for them to be able to say, hey, this is what's going on in my world and I really would love your prayer and you know, care and support. Um, as long as we can make that a safe place, people will really start to open up. And if we've been given the right assistance and advice and even the practical stuff from our church leaders as well that if you come across this sort of thing if you see it if you hear it you identify it you know these are the very simple things that we can do to be supporting our church family as well because I often think that people get you know really quite scared to help people in these instances um, or at the same time they try to do too much and then they're incredibly burdened themselves. And so if we're talking about having church as a safe place uh, for people to be able to divulge the fact that they're in some sort of, you know, risky environment. Uh, yeah. You know, stuff is not going the way I hear it's supposed to go. Yeah. Uh, not every church is well equipped to be able to handle that on their own. But I imagine there's always this safety valve that says, I can refer you to somewhere that can give you the help that you need. So the church becomes a very good place to be able to find help and either it'll happen within church or there's a referral that can happen. Absolutely. Um, Equipped for Grace, the company that I have started and am doing some amazing things with some amazing local churches around the place, Um, you know, what I provide to them is really an ethos of identify, engage with that person and refer on, refer, refer, refer. So engaging with them as, you know, if you're a part of the church body, then you're providing them that um, pastoral care, that wonderful prayer support. You are an amazing friend in that church space, but you're not the domestic violence expert. You're referring that sort of um, issue and and those sort of concerns that you have on to the professional agencies who really can step up and support. And they provide some amazing support in our society at the moment from very practical things such as changing locks, a new mobile phone, you know, some some hampers as well to some amazing things like, um, you know, providing women's shelters and helping women restart their lives. So. 
Interesting using that word identify because that flows on from the idea that someone might uh, let you in on uh, something that's much more personal and this is happening at my home and I need help. Yes. Not everybody will actually say they need help. And when you say the church becomes an identifier of these things, you're talking about learning what some of the signs are that will give you an insight into the fact that there is some domestic and family violence issue that's going on at home. Now, for some people, that's going to be great. Someone might notice my problem. Others might be saying, oh, are you there just being a policeman on the beat? (laughs) Uh, How do you think churches uh, ought to have as an image here? I mean, obviously, you don't want people uh, thinking of church as a policeman on the beat. You want to to find some sanctuary and some hope, don't you? Yes, absolutely. And I think um, church has an amazing heart. And from my experience is that people always come with such a great heart within the church space and definitely not there to be a policeman or, you know, try and catch people out or determine who's right and wrong in situations. But just equipping our leaders and our, you know, amazing church volunteers with his, you know, here are some of the top 10 signs to look for when it comes to domestic violence. It's not going to be the bruised black eyes that, you know, what people generally associate with domestic violence. It's things around controlling finances, where they go, having to check in, constantly getting text messages. Um, You know, you might be um, provided some advice, or sorry, might be provided just a a statement from a victim or even a perpetrator that kind of alludes you to the fact that something's not going on. And most of the time, it's that kind of gut feeling that we get that's been stirred up by the Holy Spirit as well. Let's talk children in the mix here, because sometimes we talk about domestic and family violence, and we think of that as separate from the idea of child protection or protecting children, creating a safe environment for children. But sometimes it is going to be the kids who are going to let you in on the fact that not everything's good at home. Absolutely. And sometimes they might be the only key as well. Children probably, um, or sorry, children provide um, a wealth of information to people, whether they want to hear it or not. I know my own child, you know, has told some wonderful things to people that I may not have wanted to <laughs> people to tell them. And, you know, whilst um, that comes from a very innocent place, you know, we as, you know, children's pastors or people who volunteer in the children's church have that amazing capacity to build rapport with children and they might be divulging things that, you know, we never thought would ever come out of their mouths. So child protection in this instant, it's so key to be tuned into what a child is saying and always taking it seriously. As you say, children say the darndest things. They do say the darndest. uh, (laughs) That's an old saying. (laughs) But the idea that a child might say something, uh, you've got to have the wisdom, haven't you, when you are one of the leaders in church life to say, do I let that one go or do I actually approach the family? Do I uh, let my pastor in on the idea that there might be a challenging situation that's developing here? You want to be able to have the wisdom to know whether that child who is saying one of those uh, crazy things, uh, whether that actually is something that you should act on or not. Yes, absolutely. So I am a big advocate for having some very simple policies in place with children's church leaders and whoever volunteers in that space. And, you know, like this branches out to the wider community when it comes to like kids' sports, recreational activities as well, is that if you do notice or see something you know, it could be a complete change in a child's behaviour as well and you want to investigate that. So having some really um, 
easy to follow policies around if you identify this, if you hear that, if you've been told this, you know, you then report on to this person who then makes that call. Um, generally, um, we like to think of it as a child protection officer who has just that little bit more information, that little bit more knowledge. And whilst they may not investigate what's going on, they do have some key contacts and some a little bit more information on hand about what to do. Do most churches have that sort of position, like a child protection officer? Is somebody identified in a children's ministry? Is that part of what most churches would have as part of their child protection policies, a person who's designated to make those sorts of calls? If they don't, I would highly advocate that they absolutely do. And that person be separate from, um, you know, it could be your senior pastors. It, it, um, you know, this this might happen in smaller churches when there's not so many people and not so many bodies, but I definitely advocate for that to, to occur. And the interesting thing is here, while you think, oh, this sounds like a lot of hard work and a lot of training and a lot of preparation, this, in fact, may be a key to the sort of confidence that people will have in your church that will enable your church to flourish and grow. So these sort of things can't be ignored, can they? No, very much so. And I often look at child protection and domestic violence at the moment as as important as workplace health and safety. You know, we don't need to get bogged down in the, the details. Um, these can be very difficult topics to discuss, but they can also be made quite simple. And, and essentially that's uh, what Equipped for Grace does, is we simplify it out for people as well. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Our special guest is Alicia Reader-White. Alicia is the founding director of Equipped for Grace, and we're talking about domestic and family violence. We're talking about child safety, and the special focus is really on what happens in your local church. Alicia, let's just draw some attention here to the idea that somehow or other this sort of safety for children and really this is going to be safety for families, has to be a high priority. And if it doesn't feel like a priority, maybe it isn't a priority. Uh, What are your thoughts about how you actually elevate the priority of the safety for kids and families? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Neil. We we often find that... uh most churches these days will have a child protection policy in place, um, but potentially could be hidden away with not a lot of knowledge that it uh, even exists or what's within it. And sometimes these can be quite complicated documents as well. And so raising the profile and the priority is really about making it just really simple for people to find, for people to know about and for people to be able to use it as well. How often should that policy come out? Because as you say, it can get hidden. Uh, it's back, uh, you know, the back of the filing cabinet and, uh, you know, every now and then we drag it out because we have to. Uh, how often should it come out? We have some legislation here in Queensland where I am that states that we should be really reviewing it at least once a year, so annually at minimum. But in case there's ever an incident that goes on, we really should be reviewing our policies in light of that incident. What could we have been? Do- what could have been done better? What could we have looked out for? 
Uh, there's some regulations, and some of these are different in various states around yes. Australia. Uh, I know that in the state of Queensland, you need to have a blue card if you're working with children. Uh, other states have working with children safety checks. Uh, I guess that's going to be really one of the you know foundational things that you just make sure you have to have in place. Yes, absolutely. Having people who have got the right, um, you know, They've dotted their I's, crossed their T's, and they've got the right things in place to make sure that they are the right people to work with our children. But often it's overlooked that a child safe organisation really is quite holistic. So it's about who are we employing and, you know, volunteering with our children. And that's about more than just the blue card itself. But the blue card itself is incredibly important because that allows us to keep on top of any other things that may be going on that we would have otherwise not known about. And I know the other states and territories around Australia have some amazing systems in place too. Isn't it amazing when we talk about who is looking after children in church life and uh, some will reflect on the idea that, well, in days gone by, it's been a little bit more like a child care service while the service is on, uh, Sunday school, and you sort of think, well, uh, just who's got their hand up to be a part of this? Really, are we way past that now because actually people who are involved in children's ministry in church actually need to be uh, in some ways on a developmental pathway, uh, learning some professional development. I mean, are we overcomplicating this? This is something that's necessary, isn't it? Child protection is definitely necessary. So I would even take a step back and look at the person who is doing the admin around it and making sure that they're aware of it. And then when it comes to the people who are, you know, on the ground or on the floor, for want of a better way of saying it, with the kids every Sunday, you know, if they've got a passion for kids to be around them and with them and inspiring them in the ways of Christ, then they also do need to have that tiny little bit of training, just those few key things to look out for and what to do, and then inspiring the kids along the way. If we're talking about how we identify the most important things, uh, so if someone's going to be leaving our conversation in just a few minutes and they're saying, well, get to the point here, What are the most important things? Uh, What would you say uh, people need to be attentive to? These are the three things. Is there a top three things? Be attentive to these. Yes, absolutely. Have a really great policy in place. Spend some time working out what your risk is within your church and writing that down in a policy, making that policy really easy for people to find. So the other Second thing would be having a really good communication strategy and making people aware that we're committed to child safety. And if you have any concerns or issues, these are the very few things that you need to do. And then the third thing is having those support services available, both for the child, the family, and for your you know, your staff or your volunteer to help them debrief. So support services, what I'm referring to is, here's the phone number for, your, for Beyond Blue. Here's the phone number for Kids Helpline. So people don't have to be going to look for those sorts of things. So spend some time doing a really great policy, number one. Number two, have a great communication strategy in place to get the, the knowledge and the information out there. And three, have easy to find support services. When we talk about communication and uh, you're really bringing everybody in church life into what's happening with the children's ministry here, aren't you? Because yes. uh, you want to lead everybody along on the same path. So it's not something you do just in your children's leaders night, but this is something you might do in your regular church service so that everyone 
A, knows what's going on and is confident that their children and the children of the wider community are actually safe when they're in the care of the church. Absolutely. Um, We've got amazing government services here in Queensland and then throughout all of Australia with the promotion that child safety is everyone's business. And so that's a community-wide promotion that's going on at the moment and our church shouldn't be immune from doing that either. Child safety is everyone's business. And I imagine the easiest way uh, for that support to come in, as you say, you mentioned there's uh, various you know lines that people can call, the Kids Help Line, and yeah. there's all sorts of those sorts of things, but those Local community personal face-to-face counselling services are going to be really treasures uh, in this. It's all very well to pick up a phone or go online, but uh, to have someone who can help face-to-face, those sorts of things are really important, aren't they? Absolutely. Having... As you said, there's nothing that beats face-to-face, and I think we all learnt that during COVID times. Um, And so there are some amazing Christian counsellors, Christian psychologists out there as well, and there are actually websites that can direct you to finding a Christian counsellor or psychologist within your local area. Now, this could get as complicated as you want it to be. Uh, some are thinking what we need is the very bare minimum, yep. the, the simple standards that we need to have in place. And then, you've, of course, you can build it from there and it becomes much more sophisticated when you start to add layers on there. Uh, but where's the starting point? I mean, as we say, most of the denominations that churches are a part of, they're already uh, well and truly established in this area. Uh, but is there, a, is there a minimal standards starting point that you encourage people to really get a hold of? Yes, absolutely. Here in Australia, we have the National Principles for Child Safety. So I'd be looking at those 10 national principles. And then it would also be having a look at what are the minimum things that your state or territory require you to do. Uh, do you have those at your fingertips at all? Uh, I have we... them for Queensland here. Which okay, no, no, all right. And listeners around Australia will know that uh, you know there might be some slight variations. But uh, but if we were, if we were running through those very quickly, without yeah. uh, we we can pick up on maybe one or two. But what are, what are the standards that you say these are the things that need to be in place in the local church? Yep, absolutely. So here in Queensland, we have eight mandatory requirements, and they cover things like a commitment to safety. So a bold statement that says we are committed to child safety here in our local church, a code of conduct to tell people how we're going to be doing our doing, which also includes to some degree some organisational procedures. So what are we doing day to day on the ground? Who's taking kids to the toilet? Those sorts of things. Um, how we manage staff and volunteers, how we manage and identify harm, managing breaches, how we deal with some of our high risk activities or special events. So things along the lines of like a camp or an excursion, how are we managing those? What is your communication strategy? And then just your blue card compliance or legislation compliance. How are you going to comply with the legislation? And what I've (laughs) noticed over the years is that there are people in church who love all of these regulations. And you're probably one of them, Alicia. Nerd Uh, alert. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Uh, as some people are going, what you know, this is, does my head in uh, getting around. Oh, well, what's this top ten list of regulations? But there are people like you, and let's just say, in every single local church expression that has a children's ministry, there needs to be someone like you. But put this in the hands of someone who loves getting around these regulations. 
Yes, absolutely. If you can find that person within your local church, absolutely ask them to be involved in that because they will be the ones dotting your I's, crossing your T's and you're making sure that you know that not only that your children are safe, but that your church is covered as well because unfortunately we're now entering the day and age where we all have to be able to be so accountable in this space. And you become a treasure in the church because you are the one who is looking after the welfare, the well-being, the safety of children. And uh, no doubt the pastor in the church is going to love you because you are seriously that person who gets your head around all of that idea of uh, of understanding the regulations. You are a treasure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I, I often have people coming to yep. me, you know, can this person volunteer? Can we do this? Uh, is that outside? You know, even things such as if you're a new person in church and that new person process, are we even allowed to approach somebody who's 15 and tick the box that says, yes, we, we would love some more information? So, you know, some of those kind of things um, that might seem quite complicated and you can make them, as you said, as complicated as you like, but providing very simple answers to some complicated questions is what we're really about. Our special guest is Alicia Reader-White. Alicia is the founding director of Equipped for Grace. And Alicia, there's something about your background. Well, let's let listeners in on this because for 12 years you worked in corrections and you have worked with some of the worst pedophiles who are imprisoned uh, in the nation. Uh, it gives you some tremendous insights into the way that that sort of mind works. Uh, Twelve years' experience, uh, you've seen a lot of things over your experience time. I have seen a lot of things, Neil, and it's really great to be here. So thank you again for having me along. Um, these are very difficult topics to discuss, so I appreciate a listening ear at the moment. But yes, my background does cover things along the lines of um, child sexual abuse and child sexual assault. And uh, I've been doing it for yeah over 12 years now. So studied at uni with criminology, worked frontline with prisoners and offenders who have committed some horrific um, actions against children and then moving into policy and legislation here in Queensland. So when we talk about the sort of profile uh, of people who are offenders in this area, this for you is not just theoretical. You've actually been face-to-face uh, with some of the worst offenders. So you've got this personal appreciation for some of those things that make up the profile of someone who might actually be a threat to our children in churches. Now, let's just bring this really close to home and... And I don't mind if we get controversial here, and I know listeners won't mind if you share your heart on this issue, but in church life, sometimes the people who are connecting with or moving towards our children's ministry may not all be perfect and on the level and have the best interests of our children at heart. Have you seen this over the years? I have indeed, and I think... Um, as we know, a lot of people who have faced prison time, you know, they've got a lot of time to reflect. So when they get out in the community, if you've got a wonderful church that's opening its arms with with love, inviting people in, you sometimes will attract some people who may not have had the best interests of others to begin with. And so we still need to be protecting children well after these people have come back into our society as well. No doubt some of these people can look squeaky clean and look like the loveliest people and don't they have a wonderful heart for children, uh, but that might in itself be a concern. Uh, give us a little insight here into the sorts of behaviours that you might look for 
in the person who's representing your church uh, to be in part of the children's ministry, and they actually may be a threat to your children's ministry if you don't get this right. What sort of behaviours would you be looking for? Yes. Yeah, so in my experience, the the frontline experience that I have had, plus all the research that I have done behind the scenes with this particular, you know, not very nice topic, um, sex offenders are incredibly manipulative. That is how they are able to lure people in. There's even new legislation that says that families can actually be victims of this kind of grooming behaviour as well. And so grooming is something that has been in the media perhaps in the last six months because of Grace Tame, Australian of the Year, who's brought it quite into the light again. And so some of the behaviours that people have um, if they are trying to groom children um, you know, victim selection. So who are the children that they can really, um, you know, look out for and become really, really friendly with? Who is going to be an easy target for them? And so it might not even be just somebody within your children's church. It could be, you know, the guy making the coffee or something along those lines, the welcoming crew as well. So, you know, just keeping your eye out for things that don't particularly feel right. Um gaining access and engaging in communication so with an end goal of isolating the child. So you've got someone who's looking for a particular victim, then you're trying to then they're trying to sorry, um, find a child that's really isolated and then isolating them even further. Um, the next thing in terms of um, the grooming stage, they often talk about four stages of grooming. The next stage for them is really about deceptive trust development. And so what I mean when I say that is the end goal is to find a special bond. So they may come across, you know, the child and the family, finding out their likes and dislikes, appearing really, really kind and respectful Um, not judgmental. And so the victim can really feel like the perpetrator gets them. The family feels like the perpetrator just really gets them. And it's at this stage of the process that's really, really crucial for the perpetrator of this type of crime um, with the end goal of coercing them to participate in activities that they don't feel comfortable with. And so it can include things like, you know, buying gifts, showing signs of favoritism. So if you've got someone in your kid's church and they're constantly favoriting, uh, sorry, I'm mincing up my words at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing wonderfully, I might say. Um, You know, showing signs of favoritism towards that particular child over and above what you really expect someone to be able to do. And then moving on from there, so finding ways to engage with that child outside of the four walls of the church, you know, accidentally running into them at um, the park when they know that that child is going to be at that park or that sporting game, Um, you know, things along the lines of as well of trying to contact that child outside of what is okay within your church standards as well. If you have said nobody contacts children except via parents and that person's trying to contact them via Instagram or Facebook or whatever social media at the moment, you know, those can be really obvious signs as well that something untoward is going on. And then the fourth stage that they talk about when it comes to the stages of grooming is really about physical conduct, uh, physical contact or putting them in a really vulnerable position and then silencing that. Wow. I mean, uh, what it's, you've it's just heavy. shared is heavy <laughs> stuff. No, no, I wanted you to be honest. I uh, wanted you to share your heart on this. And uh, knowing your background, uh, working in corrections, 
and having been face-to-face with some of the worst pedophiles and being able to identify what sort of profile you might be looking for. And I couldn't help but thinking, even as you're talking about all of those very bad grooming things that people do, how oftentimes that just sounds like building good friendships and you might even confuse that with the idea of a pastoral care, getting to know a new family, getting to know the kids, getting to link and connect with the kids in the youth group. So this is where it gets specifically complicated. How do you deal with the idea of who should be in contact with families in church? Is it to be a a designated pastoral carer? Uh, only the youth leader. I mean, you've got all sorts of people who are sort of training in leadership and we're encouraging friendship evangelism and we want people to be connected and being friends in the community. How do you deal with this sort of stuff, Alicia? Yeah, that's really, really tricky, Neil. Um, I would, my absolute advice on this is really around whatever choice that a local church makes in how they contact people is constantly making them accountable and transparent. So if you want your youth pastor to be contacting the kids, then you also have that capacity to be looking at how they're doing it, when they're doing it, why they're doing it, you know, sending text messages at 1am or 2am via Snapchat, you know, those are the sorts of things that aren't accountable, aren't transparent. So if you're doing it via a platform that sends out text messages to kids or, you know, as long as it's accountable and transparent and you've really only got a couple of people doing it, you know, I, I do believe that we can maintain safety for our children and that a lot of the time you're making parents aware of it too. So, hey, we're going to be contacting your child. Is that okay with you? Do you want to get the same text messages? Do you want to get the same newsletters? Um, You know, do you want us to text them directly? How do you want to do it as parents as well? Well, that brings into focus, doesn't it? The idea that when you're in a pastoral care role in your local church, you're doing that in partnership with the family. So if you're including the parents in, on your communications with that teenager or with that child, uh, you're largely going to be covering the bases. But if you skirt around that and if you're communicating outside of the parents' understanding of what's going on, you may actually be transgressing something here that could actually be seen to be uh, even a little bit uh, you know, dangerous. Yes, very much so. So you can't just be doing the right thing. You need to be seen to be doing the right thing as well when it comes to these particular topics. And now let me just touch on something I think is important too. The idea of what people you will put into those roles or indeed any role in church life. Uh, when someone has any sort of background uh, that they may have been involved in, any sort of uh, child grooming or pedophilia, uh, typically I think in churches is a very low tolerance for anyone who's been uh, any sort of background that may have uh, have that sort of evidence in it. But if we're talking about how do you approach these things as a church, low tolerance, no tolerance, uh, is there a specific group you can refer them on to somewhere else? How do you see the way to deal with those people who have got this sort of conviction in their background? Uh, let's, let's draw the line at someone who's been convicted here. Some people are accused falsely. Uh, but let's talk about people who, are, who have this in their background Low tolerance, no tolerance, how do you deal with it? <laughs> That's a very tricky question. I know, I'm putting <laughs> you on the spot. <laughs> yes. Uh, my personal opinion, and I'm a mother of two, um, I have a boy and a girl, and so, you know, I'm thinking with 
the head of somebody who has dealt with sex offenders and knows that people deserve second chances and I truly believe that and I have done all of my work based on that. But as a mum of two, I am protecting my children like there is no tomorrow from any of this sort of um, activity. And so I think it's it's a very fine line. Um, and golly, Neil, you've really put me on the spot because <laughs> well, I, I just I do think a lot of people have that that desire to provide second chances, and so <laughs> you know finding this that is, balance. This is really important, I think, to think this one through carefully mm. because everyone listening to our conversation now may be coming from a different perspective. Uh, you can talk about a biblical foundation for the idea of forgiveness and second chances. Uh, you can talk about the way people go through a reform process and reform back into an ordinary society where they'll have regular contact with families and even children. Uh, but as you say, Alicia, and uh, just to pick up on this, as a parent, mm. you will be thinking no tolerance, zero tolerance. And uh, so for the church leader who might be thinking in theory or about how they might be able to support people who are going through a reform process, uh, really the people in your local church who have children in your children's ministry, they're typically expecting zero tolerance for anyone involved in any connection with children's ministry. Zero tolerance for anyone connected to children's ministry. And I would even go as far as to say frontline ministry in any capacity, such as your people who are welcoming people, as I said before, you know, the people making coffees, the people, um, you know, doing anything that's face-to-face with people, I possibly would not be allowing um, people with those kind of backgrounds to be serving in that capacity. But in terms of helping out, you know, behind the scenes, you know, you may be able to provide that space when it comes to actually attending the church as well. Again, I would be having a, if you were allowing people with backgrounds such as this to be participating and attending your church, it would be with a high risk management strategy in place with people aware and knowing what's going on. But if you wanted to have zero risk in that area, it would be we have fantastic online services, we have a men's group and we'd be happy to catch up one-on-one or within the men's group, but this is where we are at as a church at the moment. And so you think that church leaders ought to be comfortable in setting parameters around people who have had a, a, a sort of a risky background and in fact if they don't, Uh, the families in your church will feel very, very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable and rightly so. You know, children are our highest priority and they deserve to be protected. Families are our highest priority and deserve to be protected as well. And so if you are in the space of letting people with child abuse histories coming on in, it would be, as I said, high risk management plan. You know, a couple of people aware of it to be keeping their eyes on what's really going on and if possible, continuing to do ministry off-site. Now, our Facebook question today is, do you think child safety policies for churches are effective in keeping our children safe? And as you can hear as the conversation goes, uh, it can be an area which uh, is complicated. Uh, There's a response or two I'll just reflect here. Natalie says, people need to understand that having a working with vulnerable people card does not mean the person is not a pedophile. It just means they've never been caught or never been convicted. Uh, This is the grey area here, isn't it? Because you want to put people through a screening process? That's no guarantee, is it? Absolutely not. That blue card or the working with children check does not guarantee that something 
untoward hasn't happened. And so when we look at policies for child protection, it really is holistic. And it's looking at what else are you doing when you're doing the appointments of people to work with your children or to work in your church. So for example, having really clear position descriptions, this is what we expect you to have. Um, You know, If you've got referee checks available, have you got the ability to interview, having a probationary period as well. So watching them with children very carefully. And if there's something just doesn't feel right, you know, you're pulling people up straight away. So more comments here on that question. Janelle says, our church's child safe training gives a good baseline to the standard of care that's acceptable for our kids. So there's no question of should you or shouldn't you be doing something. It creates transparency and openness on a range of things like ratios, the vetting of leaders and reporting. At a minimum, all churches should have something like this in place. That's a little bit of good wisdom there, isn't it? Very much so. So not only a legislative requirement, uh, Jonelle, but also some wisdom there, very much so. Naomi says, I really hope so. I think awareness and having a church culture based around being alert and careful in what we do when caring for children and youth is a good start. Yes, absolutely. It's a great start. And as you said, you can make this as big and as complicated as you like. But starting there and then building on it with love and care and just keeping it simple as well. I suspect, and uh, you know, to talk about the value of having a wonderful child ministry in your church is actually a church growth uh, profile for your church. I mean, your church will grow if families feel safe sending their children into your uh, children's teens and young adults groups. I mean, this is, in some sense, it's a no-brainer, but uh, we have to reaffirm that from time to time. Yes, we absolutely do. And so Children's Church can't just be all about the fun either. You do need to have some of these things in place. And if parents are confident that their children are being cared for and looked after, then you can assure yourself that your church is growing. (laughs) Luke says, and the question, of course, is, do you think child safety policies for churches are effective in keeping our children safe? Luke says the church needs succinct, straightforward and really easy to access courses and training in one place for this kind of screening. It should also be thorough enough to weed out the goats, but not so stringent that it puts off new volunteers from even considering joining the church service team. Everybody on staff needs to have referees and solid reputation amongst their workplace and history with kids, as well as two people around at all times when there's kids around, keeping things open, even the environment, and communicating with parents throughout every single process. If I was picking up on one part of that comment, the idea that, you know, with all this stringent process... Maybe you'll be putting off people from volunteering. In your experience, Alicia, does this happen? Or is it actually an encouragement for people to become volunteers because they know that this is a good place to be volunteering? I believe it's, it comes from a really good place. And having having the knowledge that your church is doing its utmost to keep children safe as a baseline is a really great encouragement to bring people along. You don't want it cumbersome, but I think that's some of the really great things that I have seen that churches are doing. They're making these really complex issues of child safety and making them incredibly easy for us to get on board with. Okay, you mentioned a little earlier the idea of child and youth risk management strategies. Now, this is where it all seems to be complicated, but 
I suppose it doesn't have to be as complicated if you think, oh, it's a 10-point plan uh, or however you're implementing that. What are your thoughts around what every single church needs to have in place to protect children when it comes to these risk management strategies? Yes, so it would be a, a policy. It would be looking at what are the risks in your particular church that you see. Um, and as we've heard from you know our, our Facebook listeners, that having it super easy but weeding out the goats, I like that expression, <laughs> and, and making sure that from the start um, that everybody is very clear on the expectations of what goes into that policy as well. And Alicia, it starts at the leadership at the top. I mean, if the senior pastor is not on board with these things, uh, somehow or other things tend not to happen. Uh, probably you shouldn't expect the senior pastor to be across every detail here, but they certainly need to be passionate about having some of these regulations in place. Very much so. And even from an insurance perspective at the moment, you know, I'm, I'm a, working with a, a wonderful Christian insurance company who are advising me as well that some churches are just not able to get insurance until they've got these fantastic policies in place. And again, rightly so. So these policies, they don't have to be complicated. They don't have to be full of lawyer speak either, but they do have to ha- capture your risk within your church. Um, communicated to parents as well as children and then as I said earlier provide those really great support services if stuff does go wrong. Well Alicia you have an amazing background we mentioned uh, 12 and a half years working in corrections and often with some of the worst pedophiles uh, you've done your own research here you've no doubt got a tremendous foundation for the sorts of things that you bring when you visit churches and uh, you do travel uh, you're based in southeast Queensland but you are available to be a part of what could happen in local churches. So uh, founding director of Equipped for Grace, uh, if someone's connecting with you today, uh, what should they expect when you uh, are linking with them, setting up a time to help get everything sorted out in their local church? Yeah, absolutely. We um, we actually offer a range of services. So these child protection requirements are legislated and so we're happy to come along and work with churches to build on their existing um, child protection policies and training um, or just build it from scratch. We are... Uh, we look love to make it as easy as possible. These complex issues are yucky and, um, you know, the legislation that sits behind it can be quite complex. So making it really simple, that's the idea. But we also offer policies and procedures as well as training on issues such as domestic violence is what we were talking about earlier, sexual assault, how to deal with mental health issues, what are some of the effective ways to deal with homelessness, drugs and alcohol. And so really lifting the burden off your wonderful staff and volunteers within churches to make sure that they're effectively caring people through the model that I spoke to earlier of how do we identify things, how do we actively engage with somebody, and then how are we referring them on whilst covering them in prayer. Wow, you are doing an amazing job. And I mentioned at the beginning I've heard some wonderful things about the sorts of things you bring to a church environment. So uh, for listeners who are interested in connecting today, and it may be that people who are most likely to connect may be people who have a a leadership role in their local church, might be an eldership level or some level of oversight, but certainly those people who might be involved in children's ministry at whatever level may well want to check on some of the things that you're able to offer in your local church. Uh, equippedforgrace.com.au That's the website. You'll be able to connect with Alicia Reader white Equippedforgrace.com 
www.ngo.com.au. And uh, Alicia, just wonderful to have you in the studio today sharing these things. No doubt we'll get another opportunity at another time in the future, but I'm sure listeners will be appreciative of great information, great wisdom that's come from you today. So thanks so much for being with us on 2020. Thank you so much, Neil, and thank you for everybody out there as well. (laughs) Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.